Welcome to your online coffee break, where we discuss bite-sized topics that inspire, educate, and entertain. Here's your host, a software innovator, award-winning marketer, and astronomy and space buff, Chuck Fields. Hello, thanks for joining us today for your online coffee break. Today, I'd like to welcome to our show my special guest, Dr. Jim Rice. Dr. Rice is the senior scientist at the Planetary Science Institute. He is the co-investigator and geology team leader on the Mars Exploration Rover Project, which includes Spirit and Opportunity. He also has mission experience working on the Mars Odyssey Orbiter and Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter projects. Dr. Rice is joining us today to discuss the current dust storm on Mars and how it's affecting the Opportunity Rover. Welcome to the program, Dr. Rice. Well, thank you very much, Chuck. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's glad to have you. If I may, Dr. Rice, what got you into the planetary science field? Where did your interest stir? Well, I was a little kid growing up in uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and uh, in the 60s, and uh, the Apollo program was happening. You know, the United States was in the midst of a uh, space race with the former Soviet Union about mm-hmm. uh, who would, you know, actually land their uh, astronauts or cosmonauts in terms of the Soviet Union, get there first. And uh, so I grew up with the space race and uh, the Apollo program. And I remember as a kid before we landed on the moon, looking up at the moon at night and, you know, before people that had been there and wow. um, wondering. And, and growing up at that time in the uh, 60s, especially in the mid, late 60s, it wasn't clear which which uh, nation was going to get there. I think if you talk to people uh, in the know back in those days, mm-hmm. in the mid-60s, I think the betting money would have been on the Soviet Union because they had a, a huge lead on the United States, you yeah. know, from the launch of Sputnik up all the way up until around the mid-60s. Now, mm-hmm. with our Project Gemini, we that's when we pulled ahead of them, but we didn't know it because their space program was so secretive, and they didn't. We just it's hard to get any information out of them. Sure. But looking back on it, when when our project Jim and I wrapped up in 1966, we had actually pulled ahead of the Soviets, and um, but it still was an open question who was going to get there. And you know, our deadline was the end of, end of the decade. President right. Kennedy threw the challenge down, mm-hmm. and um, so I grew up with all this stuff going on, and uh, it was a great time. And since I was six years old, I've been interested in space. And the reason I know that for a fact is my mother had kept some old drawings I did in school and things and book reports and things. And there's one I just came across not that long ago. I was drawing pictures of rocket ships and the put and Saturn is up there in the corner. And I know I was six <laughs> years old when I was doing that. So I know it goes back at least that far. And it's just, I don't know. It, it just grabbed me. And, um, I've never been interested in really anything else my whole life. And, uh, I don't know. I think I was put here to do this. I don't think it'd be any good at anything else. So luckily, I figured it out pretty very early on in life. And, that is uh, fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's it's so always neat to hear where people get their passion from that. Now, I have a passion too about it. I know a lot of people out there are also excited about the relatively close approach of Mars uh, that's uh, coming at the end of this month, July 31st, mm-hmm. 2018. But I understand there's a massive global dust storm that began, I think, on May 30th. I was wondering if you could that's tell correct. us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's really unusual because, you know, dust storms happen on Mars usually in the summer season and uh, mm-hmm. primarily in the southern hemisphere where the big ones really get going. But uh, for us, opportunity is in the southern hemisphere, just barely. We're like about a couple degrees below the equator, but so we're in the southern hemisphere. So on May 22nd, Earth time, that's when spring, the first day of spring for uh, opportunity in the southern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, this storm popped up on May 30th. That's very early in the spring season. Um, so the storm expanded and just exploded and grew so quickly. And, uh, 
we uh, around uh, the first of June or so, there we had some reports. There was a dust storm, but it was still far away from us, and it mm. hadn't really blossomed yet. And uh, that is that that one kind of merged with another one that, that turned into what we're dealing with right now, which now is a uh, a global dust storm. It's gone around the whole planet. And um, if you've seen any pictures from some of the amateur astronomers or putting out, you know, for this opposition you're talking about on Mars, right. there's not much you can see you know, with the surface <laughs> features and even pictures from some of our orbiters around Mars. Um, we have this Marcy camera on the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which is basically looking at the weather patterns on Mars. And the planet's blotted out. You can see some of the south polar cap and the peaks of some of the Tharsis volcanoes, little dark spots peaking above the dust, but everything is pretty much blanketed now. And uh, wow. so this storm just kind of blew up so quickly and so early in the spring season. And um, hmm. it really has turned into a, a nightmare for us because we're solar powered vehicle. And uh, the guys who work, uh, you know, Curiosity, that's a nuclear powered one. Right. It's not going to affect them really in, term, in terms of operations, but it does affect them with their, you know, images are taking there, there's a lot of dust in the air and uh, the exposures are different so uh but they're, they're still going about business pretty well as normal we're, we're we're pretty much shut down effectively because the last time we heard from opportunity was sunday june 10th and uh for us it was called sol 5111 now wow. sol sol is what we call a day on mars because a day on Mars is about 40 minutes longer than an Earth day, and that accumulates 40 minutes each day. So pretty soon the time gets kind of wrapped around in a weird way. So, um, you know, we call it a SOL, and that was our five we've – been, we've been on Mars 5,111 days, and uh, that was the last we heard from her. And uh, but we're, we're, I don't know. I'm confident. I think most of us on the team are pretty confident we're going we're gonna to survive this thing somehow, some way, and uh, come back and – live to uh keep exploring see i think that's wonderful and, and there's a couple of things it's the dust that's uh that we're concerned about obviously with the solar panels because when i think of storms on mars i think of how typical movies in hollywood portray a dust storm as having incredibly right. powerful winds but i understand in reality that the martian atmosphere is really too thin to provide the substantial forces we envision during a storm is is that correct like if we were standing on the surface of mars right now in the midst of the storm what would it be like and you're exactly right. The atmosphere is super thin, and I can tell you millibars, but probably most people don't think that way. But <laughs> sure. the best way to think about the Martian atmosphere is equivalent to about being 20 miles above the surface of the Earth. So there's not much wow. up there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's you know not a vacuum, but it's very thin. And if you want to hear in millibars, Earth's average, you know, surface pressure of the atmosphere at sea level is about a thousand millibars mm -hmm. now on mars we're talking about seven to ten millibars so it's wow. very very thin yeah. atmosphere and um so when you hear these wind speeds of you know 100 200 miles an hour or whatever they are talked about mm -hmm. it's not like a 200 mile an hour wind on earth a 200 mile an hour wind on mars would feel kind of like a, maybe about a 20 mile an hour wind to us because oh, really? the atmosphere is so thin this doesn't have any 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 oomph behind it the force is not there and um so you know the movie the martian everybody saw i mean by and large that was a good movie it's definitely the best mars movie ever made but yes the whole premise about the dust storm is total total bogus it's just wrong i mean it's bad science <laughs> exactly and, uh the, the, the dust storms on mars and we've been through them before not only with um, Opportunity and Spirit, but 
going back to the Viking missions that went first for successful landings on Mars, mm-hmm. we've, we've been through dust storms and, uh, they don't blow equipment around. They don't, you know, you know, in the movie, you know, astronauts being blown around and antennas and stuff. No, right. it doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, it's just Hollywood gone crazy. And, uh, so that, that's not a concern. I mean, the vehicle is not even budging. I mean, it doesn't even, even shake or vibrate. The only thing we, you know, in some of the dust storms, we've seen some sand grains move now. Okay, so that tells you it's not a lot moving out there. This dust we're talking about is very fine, fine scale stuff. It's basically the same diameters, particulate matter and cigarette smoke, Hmm. you know, microns across these dust particles. But they get lifted up in these storm events. And, you know, like we're talking now, the whole planet is pretty much obscured. And that's not good for, for solar power because um, I can just give you some numbers. On, Ju- on June 1st, mm-hmm. our uh, power um, report from Opportunity, we had 645 watt hours. Then back, you know, nine days later on June 10th, we're down to 22 watt hours. Oh the storm gosh. is really affecting us big time. <laughs> and that's the lowest recording we've ever had in watt hours on, on Mars. So we're in a regime we've never been there before. Mm-hmm. Um so the dust, um, the winds are really not going to hinder us other than you know, picking, lifting the dust up. And okay. it will eventually, these storms will settle because, you know, what happens when you get the planet obscured in dust, it starts reflecting sunlight back out into space. And eventually the planet will kind of atmosphere cool a little bit. And maybe these dust storms don't have the energy to keep feeding themselves and they'll die off. Now, when that's going to be is an open question. It could be weeks or months. So we're just basically hunkered down uh, in survival mode and fighting for our life. And uh, I, like I said, I think we're, I think we're going to make it through though. I'm optimist. Well, and I understand that this is the worst storm in terms of dust in the atmosphere that's ever been measured, even since the Viking landers. Can you just, just right. go into a little bit more detail about how you measure the storms? Well, we have our cameras on there and we, you know, look up, near the sun with these certain filters and other like other places that, you know in our landscape mm-hmm. far crater wall or wherever we're looking at and we take these measurements that are called towels it's a greek letter t-a-u towel i have a southern accent so it <laughs> doesn't sound the same but That's um, okay. <laughs> anyway um so we call them towels and we regularly do these things to monitor how much dust is in the atmosphere it's called opacity if you know, use a technical term okay atmospheric opacity and that basically is how, how clear the skies are you know it, the dust content for Mars. And um, the one we measured the last time we got an accurate measurement, last time we heard um, from opportunity and it probably got worse than this was Mm 10.8. Now 10.8, the previous worst that uh, ever measured was Viking did a nine in one of the dust storms. Our previous measurement, we we, we survived a dust storm back in the summer of 2007. It was pretty, uh, pretty bad. This one's worse. The, the, the opacity measurement, the towel number we got there was around about 4.8 or 5. Mm-hmm. So this one is way up there. And uh, that is, it probably got higher than that because as the storm continued to rage, we lost contact with the vehicle. So it probably went above that. Um, but wow. it's one of those things we're never going to know. Sure. And uh, it's not like it's nighttime out there during the day. Now, a Martian nighttime, it's, it's dark out there, okay? But uh, during the daylight hours, um, it's, you know, there's a graphic uh, that was released at a press conference that shows you how big the sun looks. If you were on Mars during the daylight hours in a dust storm, um, there's still light, but it's real diffuse. And uh, mm-hmm. 
so it's, it's kind of like a probably like a twilight or like being in the fog or something. I mean, it's, there's still light out there. It's not like it's pitch black, you know, the whole Martian day, the 24 hours, 40 minutes. So, right. but it's not like, a, you know, a normal sunny, you know, sunny day we have there. And uh, hmm. so that, that's something kind of people kind of get mixed up with. And, I, and living out here in Arizona, matter of fact, we had our <laughs> first dust storm last night of, of the season here. Oh, no. And it wasn't, it wasn't one of the bad, bad ones here, but um you know, I've been through dust storms out here, and they sound very scary. But if you've been through them, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, really. What it's going to do is you have a pool; it's going to get you know dust dumped in there, right. and that's <laughs> a clean problem. Your car is going to get dusty. Um, the biggest concern on Earth when you're in the dust storm is you know if you're on the highway or the roads, um, you know, being the traffic problems because the visibility goes down to zero in some of these things. Right. And, uh, but you know, there's still daylight out there. And, uh, so I don't know you're in Indiana, right? So I don't think big dust storms there, but no, uh, no, I have experienced one in Arizona. I was out there once and we did have a dust storm and it was, it was incredible to go through once, <laughs> but again, it yeah, wasn't that yeah. big a deal really. Yeah. Now I, I know you mentioned that we lost contact with opportunity on June 10th when I believe you think the rover rover may have put itself in sleep mode. Yeah, it's we call it like a low power fault mode, and what that basically means is the power, the energy we're getting from the sun to power our vehicle and our instruments and all these things, batteries, it gets so low, it, it just basically goes to sleep, kind of like your computer. You know, when you have it sitting there to go to sleep, just right. to kind of preserve the energy. You know, the sure. power, and so it's, it's it, it was built that way that when the power gets low, it just basically goes to sleep, like a deep sleep mode, and periodically it will wake up. And just see, do, 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 I, do I have enough power now? If so, I'll turn on my communications and I'll contact Earth like I'm oh. supposed to do. But that power is not getting there. It's 26 days now, and uh, I, we just got a report from the uh, – we're listening every day. At most recent one, we still – you know, it's not unexpected. We haven't heard – we didn't hear anything back from the most recent one mm-hmm. um, that came in last night, the listening opportunity. So but we're not shocked by that. But um, So what we're hoping is going to happen is when the uh, – dust clears um then you know there is going to be some dust on the solar panels on the vehicle and uh hope and we hope for some winds to come take it off but we're not going to be buried in dust or anything i mean okay we're talking about maybe um you know a mono layer of dust like one one layer it's not not very thick but the dust is going to be a problem because it's going to still hinder the power but we'll get power but in Hopefully some winds will come around or a little dust devil and suck the wind off like it's done for, <laughs> you know, 14, 14 and a half years. So, That's amazing. Um, but, yeah, it really is. But what happens is we'll wake up at some point when the power level's right and send like a beep back to Earth. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get control of the vehicle and start working again. Um, the worst case kind of – well, the other scenario is that our power is so low – and we're kind of starting, we're, you know, using our batteries. Mm-hmm. If the batteries drain down, um, we have a thing that could happen as a mission clock fault. And that's kind of like the rover has an alarm clock on there. Well, if that clock, because it loses power, it doesn't stay, uh, you know, current, mm-hmm. the rover won't, will not know what time it is. So it'll be working up at random times trying to communicate Earth. Oh, and so that's kind of like we don't want that one to happen because that means you're going to be continually listening all the time for that potential signal. Mm-hmm. Right now, we, there's these um, low power fault windows we're listening for that the rover knows to to send, and we know when to listen also. So that's you know helps. If the clock goes down, it's going to be random, and it's probably going to be a little more difficult. But we can still do it, but it's going to be a different ball game than knowing when to listen now. You know, absolutely. And the other issue is that. 
the temperature wise the power once once it clears we'll get the power back you know mm-hmm. but the, um the temperatures was the biggest concern and our thermal experts um think we're going to be okay now we're lucky because we're a spring this is not a winter time um you know spirit we lost spirit not because of a dust storm but mm-hmm. it got stuck in some um, loose fine grain sand we couldn't get out right. and we couldn't get up on a little slope to face north to get power extra power in the winter time on our solar panels so mm-hmm. It was down there, and it got cold, and, you know, electrical components, computers, it just got shot because it got so cold, and we lost it that way. So we're lucky we're in spring, um, heading towards summer, but summer won't arrive till like, I think it's October 22nd, so we're still got a ways to go to summer. But (laughs) the good thing about the dust, while it hurts us in the daytime, no doubt, for power, is during the night, the dust kind of traps heat and kind of keeps us warm. So mm-hmm. the dust is a double-edged sword to us. It's helping keeping us warm, and our thermal people think that we're going to probably stay above the critical temperature, which is about minus 40 to minus 45. Burr. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and, right, and the last temperature reading we got, we were around minus 28. So it's getting kind of close, but we and our electronics and our computers all kept in this thing called the web, the warm electronics box, and it's insulated, obviously. Sure. And there are some little um, – one watt heaters eight of those in there the radio isotope heaters that you know Ah, generate a little heat so that kind of helps us too so it's a delicate balance you know the temperature and the power and all these things but uh, you know we've got a real good team of people and i I just i'm just confident we're going to pull through i I think we're going to but you know but it's going to be a waiting game right now i understand why i certainly hope so now You've obviously learned a lot with this dust storm. For future missions, is there anything different that we can do or will do that can reduce the impact of the storms on future spacecraft? Well, the main thing is these things are hard to predict. Like I said, sure. you know, in the summer seasons, that's when they tend to occur. You know, it's not in you know, this is in early spring, but um, mm-hmm. and we've monitored these things, and you know, with now we have Curiosity, which is still working. It's helping to learn about it from the surface because you know, opportunity. We're, we're we're out of commission right now, but uh, right. so we're getting data. Plus, we have orbiting spacecraft that are um, a series of, you know, a fleet of it's actually a fleet of spacecraft orbiting Mars. You know, the U.S. is there. Exactly. India has a, uh, and the Europeans have a mission there. Um, so we're getting a lot of data there. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we got a long way to go in predictions. I mean, uh, th- like I said, this one kind of just blew up. It really expanded like crazy, real fast, and um, so. In terms of future missions, uh, like I said, it's not really affecting Curiosity because it's got an RG, RTG that's a radioisotope mm-hmm. thermoelectric generator. So right. it doesn't rely on the sun. So it's it's fine. And when we say astronauts there, um, they're going to have nuclear reactors. There's no way they're going to rely 100% on solar. I mean, uh, even go back to the movie Martian, you know, they did the same thing. They had that reactor plant buried out there in the, in the soil, the regolith. Right that he had to go dig up and uh, then they had solar panels. I mean, obviously, you know, you'll, you'll use solar cause it augments your power and it's free, right? you know, and uh, you'll do that, but you won't rely on that a hundred percent because of these dust storms and things like that. So it really, you know, the biggest concern if you had a crew on a surface or even a rover to some extent mm-hmm. is the dust gets blown into your optics, um, you know, and can you know, coat your lenses and things. But we, we try to get buttoned up with that. And a, a crew, I mean, if you can imagine an outpost of astronauts there, they're going to have weather stations and they're going to have orbiters. They're going to know when, when these things is coming. It's not like they're going to, you know, turn their back and it's going to be right on top of them. They'll have some <laughs> warning. And you can, you know, button things down and get inside your uh, structures and 
you know, because you wouldn't really want to be out there if you don't have to. And but you know, like we're talking about dust storms, you know, say here in Arizona, if you're out in one, it's not the end of the world, you know. Right. But you don't want the dust getting into your electronics and you know gunking up stuff. So, and like I said, you'd have some warning. I, I, to me, this is it's just a, one of the um, when we get people up there, which we'll do, um, it's just be one of the things you deal with, you know. But it's not going to be a showstopper and. Uh, you know, I, I personally, for me, I think, you know, in terms of sending people to Mars, because that's what people ask always you, want to know. When do you think we'll be there? That's a hard question to answer because, sure. you know, there's no, there's, you know, in the 60s with Apollo, we had a timeline by the end of the decade. And uh, it kind of gave us a finish line. Right. And there's nothing like that right now. I mean, the number is thrown out there like the mid 2030s, which to me is <laughs> pretty unrealistic. I mean, the government programs, there'll be so many changes in Congress and presidential administrations between now and then. I mean, oh, yes having continuity in your funding, how do you do that? And it's kind of, it's too far down the road. Um, but I don't know. I thought I would have seen it by now when I was in grad school, I thought it would have happened by now. So I, I wonder in the back of my mind, if I'm going to see it before I leave down here, you know, I don't, I don't know. Well, if I can um, ask, what, what do you think of like the private space industry? Like, you know, SpaceX, Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, they're certainly making some uh, pretty significant strides. Do you think they're going to, Get to Mars. I mean, it's truly speculation, but they've definitely impacted the program. Yeah, and it's you know, competition is a good thing. I think it's right. good, and you know, Musk is you know, he's pretty much hell bent on getting to Mars, and right. you know, it's his company. He can do what he wants, and that's kind of the good thing about it. He doesn't depend on you know outside forces controlling his purse strings, kind of like Congress, you know. So <laughs> yes. it's a good thing. But he's got, like you're saying, these companies have a long, long way to go. None of them, and those the two you mentioned are the the top of the cream of the crop, right. Blue Origin and SpaceX. Mm-hmm. But they still haven't put a person in orbit around the Earth. Yes. That's what we did in 1961, okay? So <laughs> True. they Good haven't point. done that yet. And they will, but, uh, you know, going from that to talking about landing people on Mars, I mean, I, I just take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I would love to see them do it in the timeline they're talking about, but mm-hmm. I, I, I'd like to eat my hat, put it that way, <laughs> eat my words. <laughs> I but totally I just agree don't see it. Yep. I don't see it happening, but... You know, more power to them, and please try, because I'd love to see it happen. But Me too. You know, um, it looks like it's going to be some kind of partnership now, like at least with, here in the U.S. with NASA and some of these companies, um, which yeah, is fine, because if you think about it, I mean, contractors are always building our, our launch vehicles and spacecraft anyway. It's right. just now they're these things can uh, private entities and it, uh, you know, the regulations and for safety, it's going to gotta be worked out. It's kind of like, it's like the wild, wild west. I mean, right. These things are being made up as the day, as we roll into them and how to deal with them. And, but I think it's a good thing. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully it will spur it on to happen a little quicker. I, the 20, the mid 2030s is too far away. I mean, there's no reason it should be that far away. I totally and, agree uh, with you. I think if we got serious and this all, it all comes down to money, unfortunately. Yes. But if the money was there to be properly fund this project, we could do it in probably, probably closer. I was going to say to 10 to 15 years, probably closer to 15 because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff doesn't exist right now. I mean, the launch vehicle doesn't exist. It's going to get us there. There is no Mars lander to take the crew down from orbit. Doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Going to have different spacesuits than we walked on the moon with. Well, we don't really have anything right now. So you can imagine if the president came on TV today and said, "We're going to go to Mars and we're going to properly fund it and we're going to do it right and we're not going to pull the plug on it halfway through it." I, I, it's hard to say, but I, you know, 
probably closer to 15 years than 10, but it, it could be done. And uh, if it was, you know, a, a serious project, like the Apollo program was, I, I see no showstoppers um, once the funding is there because you always hear about the radiation. Well, Yes, the radiation is a problem to be addressed. It's mm-hmm. not, you don't laugh it off, but it's not a showstopper once again. I, the increased risk they've done um, statistically of crew members coming down with leukemias or cancers is only about 5 or 7% higher than staying here on the ground. That ain't really? that high. No, it's not. It's not like 100%. You, you read these things, you think 100% they're going to die of radiation <laughs> yes. sickness. You know? No, I mean – um, it's going to be dangerous. Let's, let's face it. I mean, it is not going to be a walk in the park. Um, but there are people out there and if I had the chance, I would go, I would take that risk. Me too. Seven <laughs> increased cancer, cancer, but uh-huh. there's gonna be a lot of other dangers out there. I mean, uh, it's fraught with danger, but uh, people right. will do it and it will happen. And to me, the radiation, uh, deal is kind of like the scurvy of the, you know, 17th century, 18th Uh, century. There are ways around it, and it's not going to stop, shut the thing down. Like I said, it's got to be seriously addressed. But, for instance, the crew could have, like, a storm shelter to get in when these storms are known to come from the sun. The cosmic rays, you can't really predict those. But um, you could get in, you know, a radiation storm shelter um, on the way to Mars and even on Mars. You could build this thing or have Mm -hmm. it underground. There are pharmaceutical drugs that can get the radiation out of your system to some extent. Um, so there's a lot of – and there's shielding you can put on the spacecraft. Now, lead – people always throw lead out there. Well, lead is heavy, and heavy means expensive in space travel. And uh, also, there's a problem you get when you put the shielding lead or whatever it is. The primary uh, cosmic ray will come in and when it hits that shielding. It splits up like buckshot and creates these secondary particles. Ah, I so – you're you're going to have that risk, but you, you of course are going to want to. Want, you're, the name of the game is minimizing risk because you're not going to get rid of all the risk. I mean, it's like yeah. they always saying a ship is only safe in the harbor. That's not what it's built for. Yeah, know? true. So, um, you know, and then you've got to deal with uh, you know the weightless the microgravity condition about you know losing calcium from bones, muscle atrophy. Right. You know, now your eyesight kind of goes down, things like that. But. You know, we could do it, and um, yes, you know, and it could also create artificial gravity. But the, the deal there is, how much of a G field do we need? You know, we don't know. Hmm. Do we need a six G like the Moon? Do we need a third G like Mars? Do we, or do we? Does it have to have that full G like we got here on the ground? So we really don't know what fraction of a G could, you know, uh, mediate all these problems with microgravity. So. That is something that would have to be learned, and you know, spinning the spacecraft that would obviously work to some extent, but sure. when you spin a spacecraft, say you've got to go out and do an emergency EVA, a spacewalk to fix something, you're going to go from a gravity field to microgravity. And a lot of times people get sick when they do that. And you don't want to be vomiting in your <laughs> space helmet because you'll no, that on your own vomit. Bad on so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of issues, but none of the, like I said, I keep saying none of these are showstoppers. They can be solved and there's workarounds. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't know when it will happen. Uh, I hope it happens, but uh, I, I don't wouldn't want to put a timeline on it because there's a lot of things, moving parts of this stuff, you know. Well, there's a lot to learn, and I tell you, I'm I'm with you. I would love to see it sooner rather than later because I would certainly love to see it in, I hate to say, our lifetime. I certainly hope it happens, but I hope it's a lot sooner than 
uh, you know, 15 years is, is wonderful. I can wait 15 years, but don't let me wait much longer than yeah. that. <laughs> I want it now, you know. <laughs> I do too. Dr. Rice, I want to thank you for setting the record straight. You know, you, you defined us how, how a real dust storm would, would behave on Mars. You, you gave us some realistic examples of the challenges that we have to overcome to get people on Mars. And I just want to thank you for just taking the time out of your busy schedule day to join us. Thank you so much. That's my pleasure. And if you go out at night, you can see Mars now. And, uh, you know, uh, look up at it and say a little prayer for opportunity. We can you know, use all the help we can get. Um, but Absolutely. it's, it's kind of neat to go out there and look at Mars and realize, you know, for me anyway, it's a rover I work on up there. And Incredible. Uh, you know, just as American in general, you know, we're the only country that's ever successfully landed on Mars mm-hmm. with landers and rovers. And uh, it's, you know, go out there and look at it and think about accomplishments because this country has done some great things. Yes, we have. Well, it's amazing. We'll definitely be praying for an opportunity to come, come back. Give us a sign, but Jim, thank you so much, sir. Thank you very much. I'd like to come back sometime and uh, give some updates. And it's Absolutely. been a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. Online Coffee Break. Wow, what a fascinating discussion with Dr. Rice. It amazes me just, again, how many dedicated people there are on making some truly amazing, incredible discoveries happen because of their dedication. Uh, I want to thank him for joining us today. I want to thank you for uh, listening today. Um, If you'd like to find out more about the current status of just the Mars rovers opportunity, go to mars.nasa.gov. Again, thanks for listening today. You were listening to Online Coffee Break. If you'd like to comment on today's topic, just visit our website, onlinecoffeebreak.com, or go to facebook.com forward slash onlinecoffeebreak. If you'd like to submit feedback over the phone, give us a call at 317-862-4700. We may play your response on the air. You can also follow us at instagram.com forward slash onlinecoffeebreak. Be sure to share this episode with your friends and rate us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening today. See you next time. God bless.